It's Tuesday, June 22nd, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is uh, David Osman. I'm on the road for Radio Free Oz here in Gay Paris. And I'm beside the runway here at the celebrated Salon of the notoriously controversial haute couture designer Yves Sansstuhl. <laughs> Bonjour, Yves. Welcome to my Salon, David. Uh, we have just a moment before the showing starts for my latest collection, Toxique. Toxique, huh? Well, Eve, you're probably best known for your squid <laughs> agony boots. You you introduced them at your first salon back then in uh, 1980, right? Well, I have them here in the case, the, the prototype of the agony boot. Oh, that's the look of the 80s, the cowboy styling. The fashion of President Reagan. He may have been brain dead, but the man knew how to wear that cowboy look. Uh-huh, and this exotic leather. Polar bear hide, the stripes of the Komodo dragon. Uh-huh, and this a very high heel, uh, lucite with the flashing lights. Well, the beautiful lights were made by the agony of the squid uh-huh. who emits the electric pain every time the wearer steps on the heel compressing this little petite mollusk. Oh, wow. And, but you had to take him off the market. Peter brought me down. Uh, I told them that the squid has a happy life safe in the heel of the Reagan boot but they put a picket line in front of my door. What, what could I do? Well, I, I see the showing's about to begin here. Uh, the audience is very excited. You can tell me uh, what are we going to see today in your show? Toxic uh-huh. presents disaster fashions. Uh-huh. As you know, I normally design for the humans, but with the crisis in the Gulf, I, I have turned my attention to clothing for the aquatic victims of this man-made tragedy. Mm. Oh, so dommage. <laughs> it is for Yves stool to make it right for the pauvre animaux, n'est-ce pas? Oh, well, oh, and here, here comes your first model. The exotic beauty Giselle showing my fabulous oil-repellent pelican briefs made from the freshly recycled wild bird feathers, a form-fitting, as you see, for the natural look of nature in the raw. Oh, that's timely, timely, Eve. And, and here comes your model, Raffaella. Ooh. She is wearing my dolphin slicker. Everyone knows the dolphin doesn't look so good coated in oil, so I've designed the tight-fitting sailor costume of oil-free oil cloth with a self-sealing flap for the blowhole. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> that's very, very thoughtful. Okay, now this next model, Lauren well, she looks, Hutton, yeah? showing the turtle shell by shell. Turtles and models can all live forever with this tropical carapace of million-year-old ivory hand-carved by Froggy Island Boys. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, this must be the finale. It's uh, the, the bridal costume. Is that... For the first time, I show the bride in bed. Oh. The pollution-free happy oyster bed. I begin with a mattress of clean sand covered with the 700-count hazmat on the bottom, uh-huh. then spill repellent cover-up linens, uh-huh. the fluffy pillows and duvet boom are stuffed with clippings from famous Hollywood poodles and gaga wigs. Oh. And finally, the green war sham, sham for complete protection in the season of the hurricane. Well, well, uh, that sounds like a, a thrill. Pretend, but the bride herself, uh, can you describe her outfit? But of course, uh-huh. Imani is dressed as a prototype of the jumper jail suit in Florida orange with stripes of bio blue. Oh, it looks pretty rugged. It has to be. I'm making it for the president of BP, Tony Hayward. <laughs> he will have to wear it a long, long time. Well, everybody seems very enthusiastic about that. Congratulations on your non-toxic showing. Yves Sanstool for Radio Free Oz. This is David Osman in Paris. Au revoir! Yo, you got Radio Free Oz on RadioFreeOz.com. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, David Osman. Hey there, Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm right here. Oh, sure, right across the table. There you are, right, I was looking for you. Yeah, well, you know, I I had to shove this guy out of my place, 
do you Who? mind if the sheriff comes up? Man, he's, he's... won't. Ta- he won't take no for an answer. Okay, down. okay. Sheriff hey, Luther on. Axe Handle, hey, uh, Mr. County Mr. Island hey. Sheriff. Well, you got your report for today. Yeah, right? I got there a good go. report for you today. I think there's less alien presence on the island than at any time I've seen before. Well, that's thoroughly uh, good news in it, these troubled absolutely. times. Absolutely. On one busy weekend, uh, uh, on Saturday alone, uh, I don't know what to make of these, but. Uh, at 11.24 a.m., a caller found flip-flops on the deck of a home on Sandy Hook Drive that did not belong to anyone living there. Do you know, when they take them home, right? Yeah. Just like the rapture, all that's left is the flip-flops. Just the flip-flops. Well, the caller said it was suspicious as far as I'm, makes me they suspicious. were concerned. Then at 7.44 p.m., a caller on Shady Glen Lane said a neighbor was walking up and down his driveway and taking pot shots with his shotgun. Now, that's not aliens. That's rednecks. That's just that's rednecks. You see why I'm saying it's just like that's not, I, I don't feel do that. that weird presence there anymore. No. And I, perhaps, That's just a very American thing to yeah, do. Yeah, walk up and down, blam, that's all right. We got laws in this county that permit that sort of thing. Uh, okay, the only other thing besides dead dogs and deers and a man who found a woman's purse in front of his home. Oh, that now that uh, is an invitation to thing. alien. I won't get it. Okay, don't go there, sir. Uh, at 10.55 a.m. on Thursday, that was the 10th of June, a caller reported a suspicious boy on a blue women's bicycle on Bayview Road. It's an alien because aliens don't know from the gender of bicycles. They're constantly going by. Well, on I was bicycles. thinking a suspicious boy. I mean, how did the caller determine the suspiciosity of this boy? Well, per- I don't know. Perhaps he just thought the boy looked suspiciously at him. Well, I, anyway, Mr. Bredman, thank you for. I, I think we may have been uh, uh, through now the serious alien siege, but if I find any more suspicious news uh, on the sheriff's report, I'll be right back on the show to tell you about it. You do just that. All righty. So long, sir. So long. Uh, this is from Robert Reich, who is a former Secretary of Labor. He's uh, teaching economics now in Berkeley, and he's a pretty smart guy. Uh, retail sales in May, we've just discovered, took their biggest nosedive in eight months, and consumers account, of course, for 70% of the nation's economic activity. So all of a sudden, they're spending less. They've been spending less relatively for a long time, ever since the housing bubble burst, but now they're spending even less of the less. American corporations, on the other, on the other hand, are sitting on huge piles of cash, but they're not investing. And they're creating only a measly number of new jobs. They're actually not keeping up with the growth of the, of the labor force, of the potential labor force. We are literally losing jobs as I speak. And they won't invest, these are the corporations, and create jobs until they know there are customers out there to buy what they sell. That sounds to me like kind of a vicious circle. We're not going to hire people until there's people out there to buy our goods, but because they don't have jobs, they can't buy our goods. For three decades, starting in the late 1970s, the biggest economic problems America faced was inflation. Demand always seemed to be on verge of outrunning the productive capacity. The Fed had to be ready to raise interest rates at a moment's notice. And during this era of inflation economics, it appeared that John Maynard Keynes and his Depression-era concern about chronic inadequate demand was dead. Keynes was the guy that said, we got to pump prime the economy when there's low demand, i.e. during the Great Depression of 1932. This is not the Great Depression. We are a marketing society. This is the Greater Depression. And someday, we'll have the Greatest Depression.
the so-called supply-siders told policymakers that if they cut taxes on corporations and the wealthy, they'd unleash a torrent of investment and innovation, thereby increasing the productive capacity of the nation. So you have Keynes saying, pump money in, and you've got the Reagan supply-siders with their so-called laugher curve, and it's a laugher, saying all you got to do is like just cut taxes and give the wealthy more and more money, and they'll invest it in productivity. Well, they didn't. They invested it in yachts and, and gold you know, and anorexic mistresses. But the pendulum may now be swinging back to the earlier era in which demand always seems on the verge of trailing the nation's productive capacity. The biggest ongoing threats are chronic recession or even deflation. We're in the midst of a deflation because consumers don't have enough money to buy what the economy is capable of selling at full or near employment. Despite gains in productivity, little has trickled down to America's middle class. Well, one of the reasons is they define productivity as we keep the doors open here at Sprint, and we're using half the people. That's productivity. No, that's crazy-ass thinking. You remember the guy that wrote in and said, I love Radio Free Oz, but it's too dire. Okay, well, let, let's just see if we can reduce the dire, you know, side a little bit. Dire, the dire quotient. Yes, the dire quotient. Right, go with the DQ. Let's, let's yeah, go right let, let, let's, let's take Let's put some minus on the DQ. All right, okay. Most people would worry about being crushed by a buffalo out in the wild. I would. I've, I've thought of that often. It concerns me, yes. It turns out that animals can be dangerous when they're mounted on walls, too. Monroe County Sheriff's deputies say a man in the Florida Keys had to call 911 when a stuffed water buffalo's head mounted on a wall fell on him and pinned him as he slept in a recliner. The sheriff's (laughs) office said the call came in early in the morning from the man who could only yell his address and tell operators he had been trapped. The man had apparently woken up when the buffalo head fell on his lap. The head was too heavy for him to lift, but the man was able to reach for his cell phone and call for help. He was taken to a hospital for treatment. Boy, can you imagine what those emergency guys thought when they walked in through that front door? It's a man with a buffalo head. Jay, well, he's glad it wasn't a unicorn. Time Magazine says if you've never heard of alcoholic energy drinks, you're almost certainly over 25. Well, you can be over 25 and know about energy drinks, so they're everywhere. I mean, we're being chased by the Red Bull. We are all Red Bull matadors one way or the other. You stop by on the highway into the 7-Eleven or the gas station, and it's, you know, it's like Rockstar Jolt and Red Bull everywhere so that we can stay up and drive across the country and back without without going to sleep. Or we have visions of, you know, software coders with Red Bull cans all over their desks, you know, drinking them until they pass out of their parents evict them or whatever. But here we're talking about alcoholic energy drinks. They're sold in tall, narrow cans that carry teen-friendly names such as Sparks, Tilt, and Juice, J-O-O-S-E. How clever. This is like camels uh, putting out the, um, the cigarettes for teenage girls and passing out party purses and things with it. These people belong in jail in hell. Like other flavored malt beverages, alcoholic energy drinks contain a lot of sugar and flavoring. Mmm, now that's good. The difference is that this new generation of malt beverages also contains stimulants. Stimulants. 
A typical can can have about as much caffeine as a venti cup of Starbucks, along with additives like guarana and ginseng that can rev the central nervous system. I was told by my Chinese medicine doctor long ago that you don't touch ginseng, which they also call vitamin X until you're 50 years and older. So we're just basically degenerating the nervous systems of our youth. Uh, They don't have problems enough, the abused generation. We have to poison them. And that's what, actually, that's what public health and law enforcement officials are worried about. Though flavored malt beverages make up less than 2% of alcohol servings in the U.S., alcohol policy experts have long worried that many of those servings are consumed by minors who have no palate for real beer yet. The new alcoholic energy drinks even have a further pull on the youth market, the promise that you can get drunk but still party all night because of the caffeine. Man, I'm so drunk, but I'm so awake. I can so party and so dance. At least I think I am. Yeah, quite drunk. That's how you get juice, for for instance, has the color and approximate flavor of strawberry soda. I can imagine what their flavor of strawberry soda is. Excuse me while I virtually throw up on the air. But it's 9% alcohol. That's 18 proof compared with 5% for a typical can of Bud. That's almost as much as wine. So you're drinking wine with caffeine. What a life! Law enforcement officials want tighter regulations on the drinks. Mm -hmm. Me too. Maryland Attorney General Douglas Gansler, a Democrat who is helping lead a national campaign against the beverages, calls them disgusting. I'm with you, Doug. He elaborated, the caffeine is a stimulant that triggers the false impression that, that kids can drink more and still function normally. The kids won't recognize they're actually drunk. And then all of a sudden, over a short period of time, it goes bam, and they're gone. And so are the people on the road in front of the car they've been driving. Mixing alcohol, a depressant with stimulants, is nothing new, of course. The Irish have their Irish coffee, and they put liquor in everything, certainly in themselves. And any authentic Italian restaurant certainly offers something called Caffè Corretto. It's a shot of espresso mixed with a shot of grappa or Sambuca. I mean, you can't drink grappa alone. It's like drinking jet fuel. The, well, actually, this Caffè Corretto translates as corrected coffee. But alcoholic energy drinks are different because they are so obviously marketed to kids. Ads are found mainly online or in publications like Blender. The Sparks website looks like it was designed by a very young, very flash-savvy student. This is criminal behavior! Last year, such concerns prompted Gansler and the attorneys generals from 26 other states to write to Anheuser-Busch complaining about a particular alcoholic energy drink called Spikes. S-P-Y-K-E-S, clever again. Them spin masters on Madison Avenue are being overpaid, and they have no moral values. That drink, which was sold in such juvenile flavors as hot mangoes, spicy melons, and hot chocolate, were clearly aimed at girls. The small spikes bottle could fit easily into a pocketbook, probably the pocketbook given to them by camels. Anheuser-Busch responded by removing spikes from the market, although the industry says alcoholic energy drinks are not intended for those under 21, and that any marketing designed to appeal to legal drinkers in their early 20s has to look youthful. Yeah, 50-year-old women have to look youthful. Everybody has to look youthful, or you don't get laid or you don't get paid. 
Ooh, mighty strong words, mighty strong sentiments, Mr. Bergman. And uh, hey, I'm I'm looking out. It's Oz, man. I'm looking out for your life here. Do you realize the second Philippine radio broadcaster was killed? No. Just the other day, in 24 hours, two radio guys got assassinated in the Philippines because Uh, they were known for searing commentaries on corruption illegal logging and other issues bang bang in the philippines man hold on when i when i taught radio at the top of the world in barrow alaska right this is in the midst of the big north slope money everywhere i got on a radio station maybe npr who knows and started making fun of the mayor and i learned later that they had a council meeting on to whether or not to put me on a plane and deport me out of barrow I didn't know it. They decided not to, and I stayed on for the two weeks, and Radio Club was born, et cetera, et cetera. But, Lucky yeah. they didn't feed you to a polar bear. Well, let's hear, let's hear. Okay, well. There's more bad news. Well, yes, there's more bad news. Uh, uh, all these, the you know, the World Cup, that's the big story, the big story, the big story, the big story. Okay. Well, you can't watch it in these very strict Islamic countries where everybody wants to watch it because... Because the people in the stands, there's women who are not wearing like gold shields over their their faces? I, I, I think that may be it. So you can't watch the World Cup. And of course, that's, you know, that's every every kid's escape around the world is that they could be a world-famous soccer player. You know, no discrimination there. You could play for Antarctica and be any color or from any country, you know? Well, Okay, so other forms of daily life that have been deemed un-Islamic by insurgent groups and therefore off-limits include school bells in a southern town. They decided they were reminiscent of church bells. And Hizbul Islam recently warned radio stations to stop playing music or face serious consequences, forcing them to introduce their daily programs with an odd assortment of sounds, the roar of an engine, a car horn, animal noises, and the sound of water flowing. Yeah, we did that story on Somalia. Yep, that's exactly that. where that's happening. It, well, th- they have their problems. Look, they're not alone. California has to face Meg Whitman. Excuse me. She ran <laughs> no. eBay. You know, the, 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 she yes, pushed that. Yeah, there was that yeah. thing about the fact that she pushed this young woman uh, in some sort of altercation. That was a big story for about two minutes. Yeah, but, you know, the lady got $238 million or whatever it is for it, and she's back to work, and then she's quit, etc. So Meg Whitman decides, like really wealthy people do, what am I going to do with all this money? Well, Bill Gates is, and, and Buffett are saying, give it to charity. No, I'm going to make my. I'm going to buy myself into the governorship of California because I want to be known as governor, not just Meg no. or Yo. You know, so she sailed to victory in the primary, right? And and she just wrote her campaign another big twenty million dollar check. The contribution reported on the California Secretary of State's website brings her total contributions, Dave, to $91 million. That's how uh, much she's ma'am, uh, could you tell me whether you, um, you, you think you're buying this office? Uh, what's, your, um, no, what's your response to no, that? No, I'm not because I'm $17 million, million short of the record amount a wealthy candidate has put into his or her own campaign. And I'm talking about my near soon-to-be dear friend, Mayor Michael Bloomberg, the multimillionaire businessman who spent a $185 a vote, and he's just, he's worth every million. He's worth every penny of $185 a vote. <laughs> In last week's win over state insurance commissioner Steve Posner, 
Whitman spent $56 a vote. You said to me recently, all that money goes into the media. If they actually gave it to the voters, $185 a vote in New York, how many people would just love to have that money and would vote for him again? Yeah, right? absolutely. Instead, it goes to Fox News for ads. Yeah, and they say, well, how do you know they'll vote? Because if they vote him in, he'll come back and give them $185 later on again. You know, <laughs> They know a good thing when they see it. So Meg is, but Meg's going for the record because she's the real thing, okay? Yeah. In last week's win over, uh, she spent 56 per vote. Now she's going to face Jerry Brown in the finals, okay? She has vowed to write checks for up to $150 million in her quest to be governor. This means she'll likely surpass Bloomberg's record during the summer. You'd think that's a shoe in $150 million. Of course, she has no sense of shame, but she's running against the master. She's oh, running boy, against Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown. You can't yeah. buy your way Fearless by Jerry, Jerry Brown. Oh, no. He's only been governor before. You know, he didn't run eBay and push around Chinese women. He's been governor. So she can spend all she wants to. You know, she can run naked through fields of money. And she ain't going to take down Jerry Brown. I'm really fascinated by Governor uh, Charlie Crist of Florida, who is now running as an independent for the Senate. He was running as a kind of a standard Republican. Remember them? The ones who were v- generally sane. And then all the teabaggers and all the other ayatollahs in the NOP said, he's not crazy enough. He's willing to talk to Democrats. And so they, including John McCain, um, Mr. Dang Fence, the turncoat, whom Christ had supported in his run for the presidency, was responsible for, for a lot of the work done in Florida. McCain abandoned him. Am I surprised? And so Christ had to decide to run as an independent, which he's doing, and he's first in a field of three. Well, recently, right, he's vetoed legislation that would have required a woman to get an ultrasound test before an abortion. A terrible idea, and he vetoed it, and so the Republicans must thoroughly hate him now. This bill places an inappropriate burden on a woman seeking to terminate a pregnancy, Chris said in his veto message. And he's damn straight. The measure would have required most women to have an ultrasound before having an abortion unless the woman could prove she was the victim of rape, incest, domestic violence, or human trafficking. Women could choose not to see the ultrasound or hear a description of it. But you had to go in and have an ultrasound before you made your personal decision to have an abortion. Yeah, I love these uh, these Republicans, these little government, uh, small government, no government Republicans who want to force women to stand in line and have ultrasounds when they make personal decisions about their bodies. The bill also included language that legislative Republicans wrote to prevent what they considered the possibility of federal funding being used for abortion in Florida. But you could use federal funding for the ultrasounds along with some provisions intended to thwart President Obama's national health care campaign. Where are these people sleeping? What are they drinking? What are they thinking? Are they from another planet? And now it's time for another of Uncle Dave's obits. Yes, the obit column. Jimmy Dean uh, passed away. You mean Jimmy Dean pork sausage I mean that at 81 years old, and and here's... Didn't uh, kill him early, man, eating all that pork sausage. No. His wife, wife, Donna Mead Dean, told the Associated Press that he died suddenly while watching television. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. 
<laughs> it's nearly killed me a couple yeah, there times. There you go. I knew there would be a comment there. <clears throat> Here's a great uh, quote from Jimmy Dean. This is this little obit in the Times is filled full of great quotes. Um, Sausage is a great deal like life, he said. You get out of it about what you put into it. Go on, That's please. Little I, Jimmy I, Dean I don't want to speak. No. I, okay. I don't want to speak poorly of the dad. All right, all right. Uh, 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 in the late 1960s, he had a recurring role in the television series Daniel Boone. But, but my favorite credit, and I'm going to go watch this with my baby tonight. He starred as an enigmatic Las Vegas millionaire in the James Bond 1971 movie Diamonds Are Forever. So if you never want to forget Jimmy Dean, you want to watch him, and, and then you can watch all those other cool people in the in the Jimmy uh, in the uh, James Bond, Jimmy Dean and James Bond all together. Uh, Jimmy the Dean, Dean, I'd like that Jimmy sausage uh, shaken, not fried. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Well, here's here's how here's here's how his life went. Here's how his life went out there in the country, and this is how it is for a lot of people out there. I was a hardworking little boy. Oh, I worked. Have you worked like this before, Pete? Pulling cotton, yeah. mm-hmm. shocking grain, yeah. cutting wheat, loading wheat, chopping cotton, cleaning chicken houses, milking cows, and plowing. All, all with no G's, not a single You're G. Right. His Continue. entire world is I and apostrophe. That's right. That's right. Every single, every single G is gone. And, uh, and, and, and finally, in one of his fondest family, family memories, and I know you'll uh, just take you right back to the country where you, where you're from. We'd buy a hog, mm-hmm. fatten it out, and butcher it. Yep. He said in an interview with the New York World Telegram and Sun. <laughs> oh, that hasn't been around for about a hundred years. One of us would have to knock that hog on the head. And we'd have fights over who was going to do it. And then Mom would stick it. So long, Jimmy Dean. The show is cold. Oh, when you stood me up. Shore's cold You put my head on the chopping block Yeah Shore's cold Everything I own 
when are we going to get some non-brain-dead news out of Arizona? Certainly not today. Oh, no. no. A proposed Arizona law would deny birth certificates to children born in the United States to illegal immigrant parents. Uh, the bill comes on the heels of Arizona passing the nation's toughest immigration law. So the, there's okay. a Repu- And stupidest, we yeah. might add. John Kavanaugh, a Republican state representative from Arizona who wears his birth certificate around his neck at all times. Mm-hmm. He's a member of the Church of the One-Way Light. Uh-huh. Uh, supports the proposed law. Uh, what did he say? He called it, um, it's aimed at so-called anchor babies. Said that the concept does not conflict with the U.S. Constitution. Of course, he's dead wrong. Anchor baby. I think that's a term they use in the petroleum industry. The anchor anchor baby, anchor baby is what keeps the oil down in the well. You're, I'm beginning like to get ill behind this. Okay, okay. Go He ahead. says Go it doesn't conflict with the U.S. Constitution. Of course, he's either more wrong than he's stupid or more stupid than he's wrong. I, I will have to take a look. He says, if you go back to the original intent of the drafters, it was never intended to bestow citizenship upon illegal aliens. There weren't any illegal aliens. Back Everybody then. was an illegal alien. alien. Right. That's why we fought the British. We were all aliens. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so th- 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 he doesn't what, think this violates the Constitution he, where it says if you're born in the United States, you're a citizen? Well, under federal um, law, children born in the United States are automatically granted citizenship yeah. regardless of their parents' residency of status. Course, of course. But, you know, in, the, in this country, just saying no is good enough for some people. Peter Beinert and the Daily Beast reminds us that President Obama has gone to war on oil. In his recent address from the Oval Office, uh, the Prez talked about oil assaulting our shores, his battle plan for combating the disaster, and near the speech's end explicitly compared the struggle for energy independence to World War II. The only thing missing was William James's famous phrase, moral equivalent of war, which Jimmy Carter employed when he demanded that America move beyond oil in his nationally televised speech, and that was 33 years ago. And he said, unless the U.S. change course, Carter warned, this is in 1977, we will feel mounting pressure to plunder the environment. We will dot, 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 drill more offshore wells. Hey, Jimmy Carter may have suffered from malaise, but the guy was prescient. Okay. Now, By making his first Oval Office speech a plea for energy independence, Obama has offered the clearest evidence yet that uh, he has a foreign policy document. It is something along the lines of strategic retrenchment. The word retrenchment is a good word for me when it comes to armies abroad. By reducing U.S. forces in Iraq, reducing U.S. goals in Afghanistan, and eschewing war in Iran, he's trying to give himself the money and time to rebuild American domestic strength for the growing economic struggle with China and uh, with other rising powers. I don't want to struggle with those people. I want to cooperate with those people. The Gulf oil spill makes the effort harder because it adds a massive new domestic problem that Obama must try to solve. Yeah, and you know, he's basically taking responsibility for the oil spill in a way. He refuses to get angry at at BP or very angry at BP because what? He's a wuss or maybe he's president of the United States, the most powerful single individual on the planet, and we hope he can possibly keep his cool. Yeah, but... Uh, the spill makes makes it harder, but it also helps to create the urgency that he needs to do on energy what he did on health care, overcome decades of inertia and narrow self-interest, and make fundamental change. As Obama has said, the nation, this is what he said now, he said, the nation that uh, I'm most interested in building is our own. 
his presidency will rise or fall on what he builds, so the man in the Daily Beast says. Well, let's talk about war on oil. First of all, I'm not so sure I like the metaphor war on, war on drugs, war on poverty. You can't kill poverty, you can't kill drugs, and you can't kill oil, or you can't kill our appetite for oil. When I say our, let let me give a caveat here. I think anybody that stands up and says we without saying I first should get the pie in the face. So when I talk about appetite for oil or, or, or you know, non-sustainable lifestyle, I'm talking about mine first, me, the guy with a carbon footprint the size of a Yeti. All right? So we aren't going to declare war on oil successfully because that would be declaring war on ourselves. It's our appetite for it that makes the problem. And I don't want to go to war on myself. Uh, the Muslims say, of course, there's two wars. There's two jihads. There's the great jihad and the minor jihad. The minor jihad is fighting all the rest of the infidels in the world. And they're doing a horribly good job of that. They say the inner jihad, the fight within oneself, is the great war. Well, I don't want to fight a war. I want to take small, reasonable steps to deal with this oil addiction. It's really not an addiction with oil, although driving around in one's double Hummer, you know, that gets less than a mile to the gallon. I remember the cartoon in The New Yorker a long time ago where a guy has this huge car that he's filling up at a, at a gas station. And the attendant says, you better turn off the motor. You're gaining on it. So, you know, I, I know I don't drive a double Hummer, right? People who do and people who live in 40, you know, 40 bedroom mansions and keep the, you know, and keep the electricity in all the time or the guys with the huge yachts, they are basically, yeah, eating too much. And we're going to have to restrict their appetite, whether they like it or not. But I'm going to have to restrict my appetite, whether I like it or not, because right now I am I am right. I am. What do you say? Um, what's my what's what's my gift to the next generation? What an overuse of oil, a depletion of resources, a broke economy. It is not our appetite for oil. That's the problem. It's our appetite for electricity. 80% of all oil is used to generate electricity. And we use electricity like, well, 25% of the world's resources are consumed by America, 5% of the world's population. We need a spiritual rebirth, doing a lot more with a lot less. And it's, a, it's an amazing challenge. It's a mighty challenge, which I believe we have the wherewithal to face. The Republicans aren't going to lead the way. We're going to have to green the Democrats. We're headed towards a one-party democracy anyway as, as the Republicans self-destroy in front of us. Some become crazy teabaggers. Others become crazy Christian fundamentalists. And others just become crazy. Who knows? They're, they're disintegrating. So we're going to have to green the Democrats. That's the challenge. And I would impeach him. And if that's not enough, some of you men own taverns. Sam, you are a brewer. Mr. President, a distiller. You know how tough it is to run a small business without a tyrannical government on your back. Today, we have an internal revenue service that enforces what they call a progressive income tax. You'll love this. Every year, if not every quarter, we're basically required to spy on ourselves, report what we earn, who we hire and fire with an all-powerful separate court system. Without representation, they can increase taxes, add costly regulation, or perform malicious audits. Now this same IRS is going to force us to buy health insurance. Cram it down our throats or else. Now I took an oath to defend that with my life. Now, I can't stand by while these evils are perpetrated. 
You gentlemen revolted over a T-Tax. A T-Tax! Now look at us! Are you with me? Gather your armies. I'm Rick Barber and I approve this message. You're you're Rick Barber and you are fatotzed. No, fatotzed. No. Fatocked. <laughs> where, where is he running for what, well, Pete? Well, let's just call it Alabama, shall we? All right. <laughs> is yeah, that he, enough to say? And is he a Democrat? Not. Not. Oh, my. And how about the actor that did Gather Your Armies? I'm sorry. I mean, that's why they have Hollywood. That's yeah. why, you know, what if they'd have called us to do that voiceover? I'd have done more like, Gather Your Armies. That's good. I, I, let me, let's try, let me, well, why let me don't try you try it, it again? Yeah. What are you? Are you with me, Mr. President, Mr. Distiller? Gather your armies. Better than me. You got it. You got the job. Okay, that's good. I need the money. Excuse me. Excuse me. What? What are, you, what are you doing there, human? It's it's a long story. Just... Oh, good. I like long stories. Uh, sit down and talk. Uh huh. Oh, uh, well, uh, okay. Oh, no, no, not on me. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, it's all because of my uncle, the fabulously wealthy... Stop, stop. Um, what does wealthy mean? Like rich. Oh, oh. And rich? Uh, lots of money. Ah. What's money? Look, you want to hear the story or don't you? Yes, yes, but I'd like to understand it, too. Oh, very sorry, Rock. I'm afraid I don't understand it myself. Uh, the name is Stone. Okay. Stone. Thank you. And my uncle, who is a very important man, mm -hmm. was supposed to send me to the Space Academy. Ah. But he didn't. No. He decided a liberal education was a better thing, so he sent me to his old spinster alma mater to major in non-human humanities. And uh, are you with me so far? Uh, No. But understanding is not necessarily an adjunct to appreciation. Well, that's what I say. Now, I'll never understand Uncle Sidney, but I appreciate his outrageous tastes, his magpie instinct, and his gross meddling in other people's affairs. Oh. I appreciate them till I'm sick to the stomach. <laughs> There's nothing else I can do. He's a carnivorous old family monument, fond of having his own way. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, he also has all the money in the family, so it follows like a after a zzz, that he always does get his own way. This this money must be pretty important stuff. Oh, important enough to send me across 10,000 light years to an unnamed world, which, incidentally, I've just named Dung Hill. Dung? Ugh. You know. Oh, 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 the low-flying zat is a heavy eater, yeah. which accounts for the uh, low-flying... Yeah, like, yes, yeah, I've noted that That is moss, though, isn't it? Oh, of course. Good, good. Then crating you will be less of a problem. What's crating? Uh, it means to put something in a box, uh, take it somewhere else. Like moving around? Yeah. Well, what are you planning on crating? Yourself, Stone. I've never been the rolling sort. Look, Stone, my uncle is a rock collector. See, you, your neighbors, uh, the only species of intelligent mineral in the galaxy. You're also the largest specimen I've spotted so far. So, uh, do you follow me? Yes, but I don't want to. Well, why not? You'd be lord of his rock collection. So? Sort of a one-eyed man in the kingdom of the blind, if I may venture an inappropriate metaphor. Oh, please don't do that, whatever it is. It sounds awful. Tell me, 
How did your uncle hear of our world? One of my instructors read about this place in an old space log. Now, he was an old space log collector. And the log had belonged to a Captain Fairhill who landed here several centuries ago and held lengthy discourse with uh, your people. Good old foul weather Fairhill! How is he these days? Give him my regards. Well, he's dead. What? Dead. What's dead? Caput, uh, Bluey, gone. Uh, oh, uh, 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 Diebel. Oh, my! Mm. When did it happen? I, I trust it was a, an aesthetic occurrence of major import. I really couldn't say, but I passed the information on to my uncle who decided to collect you. That's why I'm here. He sent me. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, as much as I appreciate the compliment, <clears throat> I can't accompany you. It's almost Diebel time. I know. I read all about Diebeling in the Fair Hill log before I showed it to Uncle Sidney. I tore those pages out. I want him to be around when you do it. Then I can inherit his money and console myself in all manner of expensive ways for never having gone to the Space Academy. First, I'll become an alcoholic. And then I'll take up winching. And, um... I better do it the other way around. But I want to deeble here, among the things I've become attached to. This is a crowbar. Huh? I'm going to unattach you. If you try it, I'll deeble right now. You can't. Who says? I measured your mass before we struck up this conversation. <clears throat> it will take at least eight months under Earth conditions for you to reach deebling proportions. Okay, now- I was bluffing. But have you no compassion? I've rested here for centuries, ever since I was a small pebble, as did my fathers before me. Oh, boy. I've added so carefully to my atom collection, building up the finest molecular structure in the neighborhood. And now, <laughs> to be snatched away right before deebling time, it's, it's, it's quite unrock of you. Oh, it's not that bad. I promise you'll collect the finest Earth atoms available. You'll go to places no other stone has ever been before. Small consolation. I want my neighbors to see. I'm afraid that's out of the question. You are a very cruel human. I hope you're around when I deeble. I intend to be far away and on the eve of prodigious debaucheries when that occurs. Oh, wait, no, stop. Oh, please. Oh, 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 that was easy. (laughs) Well... Forgot Dunghill's got subby gravity. Well, here oh. we go! Roll, 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 no, please, can't we talk this over? The Is there no pity in your heart? No How do you like that? Humans. Didn't much care for that fair hill person either. Oh, don't you worry. That human will get what's coming to him. What do you mean? Did you see his spacecraft? Well, just a glimpse while it was landing. <laughs> kind of flimsy, didn't you think? Well, impressed me as sporty. Flimsy. I'd guess there's not much shielding. So? Ah, a nuclear-powered craft without the proper shielding is going to emit numerous subatomic particles when in flight, especially at takeoff. Uh-huh. Well, such emissions could easily be gathered and assimilated by a reasonably sentient mineral who could thus, in seconds, uh-huh. add enough bulk to enable a full-scale... Gone fishing. <laughs> Gone fishing. 
Oh, an excellent deeble. Absolutely superb. Just goes to show, it always pays to be a cautious collector. Well, there's another case of them this time, uh, not in South Carolina, Iowa, or Arizona. This this Tea Party wingnut is in the House of Representatives, or he's running for the House of Representatives in North Carolina. North okay? Carolina. Yeah. Okay. That candidate a- in Raleigh. Now, you say Raleigh, it's a big town. People like, no, they're, they're, they're living on the moon. Mm-hmm. All right. He has his own theory about what went wrong in the Deepwater Horizons rig on April 20th. And you better listen up. Because you've, you've, been, you've been just swallowing this, the mainstream media. He's calling for an investigation of his theory. It might be hard for him to get a proper one unless the FBI can make Mulder or Scully available, says Uh-oh. Talking Points Memo. You see, according to Bill Randall, candidate for the Republican nomination in North Carolina's 13th di- district, wherever that is, it's unlucky. What happened in the Gulf involves a conspiracy between BP and the highest levels of the federal government. Oh. Personally, and this is purely speculative on my part. This is a guy running for for the for the you know government in North Carolina, and he's not talking about health care or roads or or clean needles or anything at all. He's talking about. I mean, purely speculative here. He's got but, himself a conspiracy yeah. theory that he thinks he's going to ride. It's speculative on my part and not okay. based on fact, but that no, won't stop No, no, him. no. That's like, that's, no. But personally, not. I feel there's a possibility that there was some sort of collusion, he told reporters. Uh, I don't know how or why. So nobody doesn't know how or why. Uh, but in that situation, if you have someone from a company violating a safety process and the government signing off on it, excuse me. Maybe they wanted it to leak. Uh, why? Uh, so BP could be bankrupt, maybe? Or so that uh, Obama could Christ-like take on more pain and suffering and, and the ecosystem of the entire Gulf be uh, snuffed out? They, must, they had a good reason. You know? Well, I don't think this guy is going to get elected, and he's going to go back to being an exterminator or whatever you know obscure job he had Exterminator's before. apprentice. Exter- the exterminator's apprentice. That's what it says. Oh, they, they repeat. They, you know, they double and triple. I remember Mickey Mouse. Well, since we're on the subject of BP and, uh, and they're going broke, which you mentioned, yeah. you know who the biggest stockholders are. In, in BP, no, yeah. but you're going to tell me. I'm not, because these are the most obscure stockholders in the world. Now, who are the ones behind BP, the corporation that <laughs> okay. cares, the greenwashers? Well, you know, there's the Wisconsin and, the, and, and in Canada, they get their pensions uh, there. I think uh, Norway or, you know, there's, there's pension funds invested. Of course, pension funds are a huge the, percentage of the capital but, out there. But the biggest shareholder, which is only 5.9, percent that's a lot uh, yeah it's it's a trillion shares um, uh, it's a thousand million shares that's a bill it's a billion one hundred and thirteen million shares of BP are owned by BlackRock BlackRock yep and another 75 million are owned by the legal and general group and 393 million shares are owned by Barclays Global Investors Limited, which is owned by BlackRock. Oh, BlackRock, isn't that just a word for oil before it's crushed and pressurized and used to kill mussels and clams and pelicans? Whatever it is, there's nobody there you can blame. Okay, the People's Republic of China owns blame 206 on, million shares. Blame it on the BlackRock. <laughs> And the government of Singapore is right down there with 200 million shares. Because they care. 
of course they do. They want a share of, of BP. So all you folks out there in the with your investment portfolios with Barclays and the Norgis Bank and the Kuwait <laughs> Investment Authority and M&G Investment Managers and Standard Life Investments and good luck with your future endeavors. Recently, Obama issued a statement marking the 47th anniversary of the Equal Pay Act. That's the federal legislation that uh, sought to end gender-related wage discrimination. He noted that ongoing wage inequalities, uh, they go, they're still going, and women continue to earn 77 cents for every dollar earned by men, except for Meg Whitman, who, by the way, is going to put $150 million into her own campaign to become governor of California. So the glass ceiling is not her problem. Her problem is She's running against Jerry Brown, and he's going to whoop her butt. Unfortunately, Obama in this message failed to mention the recent judgment against Swiss pharmaceutical company Novartis, one so enormous that it could do more to resolve the persistent wage gap than any government measure. This comes out of Newsweek, by the way. The Novartis verdict issued just last month was record-breaking by by many measures. The jury ruled that the company, which for more than a decade has been listed among the top 100 companies to work for by Working Mother, had discriminated against its female employees in pay and promotions for at least five years, from 2002 through 2007. During the trial, Novartis employees testified about a boss who refused to hire women because he said, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes flex time and a baby carriage. He should have rhymed it. Well, he's Swiss. Maybe it rhymes in Swiss. Then there's the manager who invited his female colleagues to sit on his lap and show them pornographic pictures. That's just bonding with his employees. Let's get close. And, of course, there's the company trainers who routinely told female employees not to get pregnant, certainly not by him or her. The 12 women who testified were awarded $3.3 million in compensatory damages, while Novartis was held liable for an additional $250 million in punitive damages. Nearly 5,600 other female employees can now file for individual damages that could amount to upward of $200 million in damages. It was far and away the largest penalty ever associated with a gender discrimination lawsuit, and many were quick to deem it precedent-setting. Within the next year, the Novartis case will be followed by a potentially larger complaint against Walmart. Ah, the great Walmart of China. That case has been tied up in court since 2001. I think they probably hired every lawyer in the United States. But in April, a federal appeals court, a few judges they couldn't get to, ruled it could proceed as a class action. Walmart has said it will appeal that decision. If it does go to trial, it stands to be the largest civil rights class action suit in history. All good things may have to come to an end, Dave. I mean, that may be part of the laws of thermodynamics. That entropy just can't be resisted, but not without a Tang poem. And since we've just left spring behind, let's do our last spring Tang. Very good. This is by Lee Shang Lin, and it's called Spring Rain. And considering the spring we've had here, it's a pretty good idea. Spring Rain. Moping in bed in a white coat while spring goes on outside. The white gate is desolate, and we seldom get what we want. I can barely make out the red chamber through this cold rain. The beaded lamp sways slightly as I come home alone. Faraway roads are sad in this spring twilight. Waking near morning, confused by my own dreams, I'd like to send you this letter 
and these jade earrings. One wild goose is flying across a thousand miles of cloud. Well, maybe you can't always get what you want, but I hope Oz is what you want, and you'll be with us tomorrow because you want some more. The Oz Team. Peter Bergman, say moi, your host. David Osmond, say Louis, your co-host. Louis. John Cummings, who put us together with the ones and zeros at the get-go. Phil Fountain, the chief designer at the Oz Design Group. Mm, what class. Tom Gedwillow, he keeps the web going because he's our webmaster. Chaz Glass tells it like it is and puts it on a spreadsheet. Dave Maloney does all the recording. He's such a smart guy. Bill McIntyre is our producer and knows more about things that I don't know about than I could possibly know. And then there's Scott Wilde, who is our social media guru and also the man that's building our new website. Love them all. See you tomorrow. <laughs>